All right, so our scripture reading tonight comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, beginning in verses, uh, or going through verses 8 through 14. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this to you, not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, one of my, um, gosh, one of my great honors, I've been working here since 2005, 2005, and um, one of the biggest joys of my life is that each year there's a handful of uh, folks who graduate from college, or at least we think they graduate from college. Sometimes they have to finish it up and we don't know. But, um, but most of them graduate from college. And then they come work here for a whole year, you know, and it is such an honor to get to work alongside these folks. And, um, and many of them will, will preach on Tuesday nights. And tonight we get to hear uh, from Gabby. And uh, that is a real treat. I, I met Gabby. Gabby, were you junior? I, I might have met you before. I just remember meeting you in the foyer. You were junior? So I'm sitting in pro- having a conversation with somebody out here in the foyer. Probably somebody's crying or something. I don't know. I'm probably making somebody cry. I tend to do that sometimes. And uh, you can meet with me anytime if you want to cry. And, um, and Gabby comes walking out. And to my knowledge, I, di- I didn't know you. And maybe I'd seen you. But, but she's walking out with like a suit on. And I was like, who, who, no, I don't, I mean, no, nobody wears suits in here, you know, and, uh, and I was like, who are you, and she's like, I'm Gabby, and I'm like, and, and, and pretty quickly in the foyer, I was like, what are you going to do with your life, because, you're, I mean, you're wearing a suit, and you're doing this government stuff, and she's like, I want to be a Supreme Court justice, and I'm like, all right, uh, I'll take you, I'll take you to lunch, I don't know, it seems like a good person to connect with, somebody wants to be a Supreme Court justice, it never would have occurred to me that just a couple years later, we'd have been working on staff, and um, gosh, I love her dearly. Many of you do, too. She loves you, um, and she's given a year of her life to work here with you, and tonight we get to hear from her. Um, uh, she, this woman has a heart for Jesus, um, and, and if you get the opportunity to, to spend some time with her, please do. Um, tonight we get to hear her proclaim the word of God. Get on up here, Gabby. Give her a hand, y'all. Um, So what does it mean to be homeless? You can picture it in your mind, but really, what does it mean to be homeless? I'll give you a second to think about it. We see homelessness here in Chattanooga. You can drive two minutes towards 11th Street and you'll see it. And actually, since COVID started, The homeless population in this region has risen by 81%. Is being homeless when you live on the street? 
Is it when you live in a tent or on a park bench? Or are you homeless when your home is destroyed by a tornado? Or is it whenever your parents kick you out of your house? Can you be homeless while being in a house when you're sleeping in a bed? Is that possible? So for me, in my freshman year of college at Chat State, I actually lived out of my car and had all my things in it and I lived out of it. Was I homeless then? I suppose in a way, yes. But sometimes being homeless isn't as visible as that. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's like not having a place to call your own, not having a community, or maybe you're just living in constant instability. You don't have to be homeless, literally, to feel a sense of homelessness. And if you define home as something more than a shelter, how many of us are homeless in that sense? You know? If home is no more sorrow and no more death, if home is being known and being loved, how many of us are homeless? Will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Good Lord, um, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. Thank you for the home that we have in you. We love you a bunch. In your name I pray, amen. Okay. So, in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And he's writing to them because at this time, they're living like kings and queens. Or, for our context, they're living like celebrities. They're living like there's no tomorrow, living their best life today. And Paul knows that the people around them are suffering. The poor and the orphans and the widowed, they're in their midst. And justice is happening all around them. And yet, they're living it up because they can, just for a minute. Rather than waiting on the things yet to come from Jesus, they're instead focusing on living their most pleasant life that they can possibly live at the expense of others. They weren't, like, they weren't living like Paul or the other apostles, being condemned to die in the arena. They weren't living like that. They're living it up, living like they don't need Jesus to come and do anything else to fix anyone else. And Paul, who cares deeply about the people of Corinth, like a good father, he doesn't want to shame them, but he wants them to live differently. And even though they call themselves Christians, they aren't living like Jesus or the apostles who lived like they were homeless, or as Paul called it, scum of the earth. Who says that? He is reminding them of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't prioritize temporary security over comfort. He doesn't prioritize temporary security over sacrificial love. He doesn't live his best life now at the expense of others and of the things that are yet to come. The Apostle Paul gets this and considers that knowing Jesus and reigning with Jesus in the kingdom that is yet to come is far better than anything that this world has to offer. And again, he's not trying to shame them. 
He's reminding them that it's better to live like a fool for Christ rather than to live like the queens and the kings of the world. Or as the psalmist would say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But what does that even mean, though, to live like a fool for Christ? I mean, come on, no one wants to be called scum of the earth. Who wants to live like they are homeless? Who wants to go hungry and thirsty? Rational people of this world want to escape suffering. We don't want to endure it. We want to silence slander, sure, but we don't want to respond with kindness. And yet, these are precisely the things that we're invited to as we follow Jesus. And they seem foolish to the world. They don't make sense to the world, and they didn't make sense to the Corinthians. But let's look deeper. Why is Paul calling them to live life like this? To live like fools. What if the Corinthians kept their comfort in Jesus instead of living their privileged lifestyle without bothering to think of their neighbor? Did you guys catch that? I want to say it again. What if the Corinthians kept their comfort in Jesus Christ instead of living out their privileged lifestyle without bothering to think of their neighbor? Throughout this letter, and really in the entirety of the entire Bible, um, we see themes of we're made for another world. Not in the sense that we're made for another planet or galaxy, but that we're made for a world in which things operate differently. A world where there's no sin or death. And Paul called himself homeless because he knew that he was made for another world. And maybe if you don't know that, you just make do with what you've got. But Jesus gave him hope that the sufferings of this world are light in comparison to the good that is yet to come. And he knows that the things of this world now that are nice and comforting, they're still participating in a world where we all die, where there's widespread suffering everywhere, each second of each day. And Jesus promised to come make things new. Where even the nice things of the world seem like dust compared to the beauty and gift that has to come from above. So Paul calls himself homeless because he's unwilling to reconcile himself with the way things are. He's waiting for another home. This is why Paul is willing to be considered scum of the earth. It's why he was okay being a fool for Christ because he knows that Jesus is bringing a new home with him. And Paul won't settle for less than that. No one wants to be homeless, not even Paul or Jesus. But Paul doesn't want to settle for less than being at home either. And he's calling the Corinthians to not settle too. By living their best lives now, they're living like better things aren't coming. They're living like everything is okay, right now, but when it's actually not. Live like you're homeless, which is another way of saying, live like a better home is coming. Now, if you're thinking that this is a bit ridiculous to live like a fool, to forego the comforts of the world, 
to not try to live your best life now, I don't blame you at all. Um, I'm not going to go live out, live out on the street. I would never want to live in my car again. Honestly, it doesn't sound desirable being homeless in this way. But Paul never even tries to make being a fool on his own sound desirable. He never suggests that being homeless is this awesome thing. He's suggesting that by making the current circumstances of this world your home, you're giving up on a better one. And friends, in a way, in the same way that Paul is, you are already homeless. We are already homeless. And if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you're homeless because this world is not our home. In the words of Hebrews, which we'll look at later in the semester, we're waiting for a better country. We're waiting for a home that is far greater than anything that this world can give us. You don't need to add suffering in your life in order to live out what Paul is directing the Corinthians to do. You don't need to dish your dorm to live on the street. He's not saying that. Guys, please don't leave your dorms and live on the street. Instead, <laughs> instead we need to stop acting like the things of this world are all there is. And we need to stop pretending that the comforts and the security that we constantly steal are going to make up for really any good home. The whole world will give us this dream, like this fantasy idea, that you can have your house when you're 30 years old. Maybe you're married. You got some kids. And everything's great. You got a white picket fence around it. And everyone's happy. And although each of those things are marvelous, the truth is, even when you do have them, you still won't feel at home. You'll still have this longing and this desire for something that is greater than anything that this world can give us. Greater than a house. Greater than romance. Greater than kids, even. You'll still be homesick. And some of you may have already begun to learn this. Maybe the home that you've experienced in your family of origin is broken. Maybe your parents are divorced like mine. Or maybe you know that they're unhappy. Or maybe your family doesn't understand this new person that you're becoming. They don't know the new you. Whatever it may be, even if you've had a home, you very well might still feel the brokenness in what we call home. I know for some of us, though, this isn't just a thought exercise. Maybe like me, for some of us, we've literally been homeless. And this homesickness, it's been a very real and present reality for much of our life. But for, for others, though, it may be harder for us to relate this feeling of being homesick. You may still believe that the things of this world can deliver if you just wait, if you're just more patient, work a little harder, or if you just get a little bit more comfort, more security. Or you might think that just a little bit more money might solve your problems. Not too much, just a little. Or if you're like me, you might think if I just can get this nice one nice job, or if I can just finish this class, I'll be okay. If I can just pass it. But I want to give you the most comfort, the most hope that I know how. Jesus himself was homeless. Jesus was homeless. I mean, we know he had a mom 
and he grew up in, in a house with a father. But guys, did you know that Jesus called himself homeless when he was on this earth? Did you know that? He had places to sleep, he had friends, and he had people who followed him and adored him. But he also had people who hated him. And even among the people who called him friend, he was misunderstood and betrayed. And everyone around him was responsible for his persecution and his crucifixion. And in his death on the cross, you could say that the world publicly and officially proclaimed that Jesus Christ was scum of the earth. But can I tell you something? When you start to follow Jesus, your desires will start to align with his. Like for me, when I started following him, I noticed that I would get upset at the things that he would get upset at. Um, I would get so angry, and I still do get angry, um, at greed. The greed of money, oh God, and things, the greed of money and things that cause corruption and build unjust, unjust systems. <sighs> Don't get me started on talking about that. Or instead, I would start to love the things that he loved. Like, I would start to love choosing mercy and forgiveness and kindness over judgment. So much so that I would be driving and, and I, would, I would generally get concerned for the people who would cut me off and they would like speed in front of other cars and cut other people off too. So being angry, I would generally get concerned for those people. And so in just like loving what he loved, so too of desiring the things that this world can't satisfy, of wanting to make our home with God in such a way that it's totally impossible to feel completely at home here, of knowing that nothing in this world can satisfy you. But this isn't something that you need to do, this forcing your desires to align with his. You don't need to do it. You don't actually need to force it. It's just something that will happen as you begin to follow Jesus. You don't have to want to become a fool. But if you want Jesus, and you begin to want what he wants, you'd be willing to be considered a fool for as long as it's a fool for him. And we're not alone in this. We have the saints who've gone before us that we can learn from, like one of the apostles, or Paul, Mother Teresa, or our heroes, our preachers, coaches, role models, older students, leaders in the house. You know that's why we're all here tonight, right guys? Because we're not supposed to do this on our own. We're called to do this together. And we're not alone with one another. We're not alone when it comes to our brothers and sisters who've gone before us. And Jesus himself promises to be with us till the end of the age. And if there's any sense of home that we could have right now, it's anything which looks like our real home. Any experience or picture of the, of the kingdom of heaven on earth right here, right now, we experience it in the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through our brothers and sisters, you guys. We experience it in our desires and longing for a better world, in our worship, in our adoration, of the ways in which we've encountered the goodness of God, and mercy, and justice, and grace, and peace, wherever they are found, in every expression of love. 
These are all things which are truly home in the kingdom of God. And whenever we encounter them, we're encountering something from our homeland. But we're encountering them in a world which isn't our home yet. And we, in a sense, are homeless until God brings us home, or until he brings home to us. And so, as, a, as strange as this may sound, I want you guys to hear this. I want for you guys to learn to feel more and more at home with being homeless until Jesus comes again. I want you to learn to feel more and more at home with being homeless until Jesus comes again. Rather than trying to make this world more comfortable like the Corinthians, live for more. Live like a better home is coming. What if your feeling of homesickness isn't simply a sign that things are wrong with the world? But that is also a sign that you are made for something more than what this world has to offer. What if homesickness isn't something that you're supposed to fix, but it's a clue pointing you back home? What if it's trying to tell you to live life like a better home is coming? I want to give us a minute or two for a time of reflection to go figure out what's happening in our hearts right now. And throughout this time, there's going to be people in the back who will pray for you during this time and throughout the rest of the night. Um, and I'll close this out with prayer, but can you guys reflect on this question for the next couple of minutes? Um, how would you live right now if you actually believed a better home was coming? Close your eyes if you need to. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the people who are here in this room tonight. Thank you for the home that, you're, that you are currently preparing for us right now. Lord, will you help us see you in all that we do? For this next week, Lord, Will you stir up the desires of home within us, Father? Help us be okay and content in our homelessness. We love you a lot, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.